All right, if you grab your uh, Bible and stand for our scripture reading this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. As Pastor Bruce is going to continue in the series, Triumphant, Running the Race that is set before us. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read the first three verses, verses 1 through 3. If you don't have your Bible with you, there is a pew Bible in front of you. You can find it uh, on page 698 in the pew Bible. And listen along as I read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for these verses. We thank you for the example and the sacrifice of your Son. And uh, just help us to uh, open our hearts and minds to learn and to uh, run with endurance uh, the race that is set before us and to uh, do alongside with each other and with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as most of you know, the... uh 2016 Summer Olympics began this last Friday night in Rio de Janeiro, and uh, in fact, how many of you saw some of the ceremony, opening ceremony? Oh yeah, several of you did. You maybe didn't watch all of it, but you, you watched some of it, and uh, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, you'll take a, uh, a, some time throughout the next couple of weeks to watch uh, these athletes compete in various events, and uh, as they kind of go for gold, and, uh, and so what we're doing, we're taking... The next few weeks here, uh, specifically the month of August and even bleeding over into a couple Sundays in September, and we're looking into God's Word here, specifically in Hebrews chapter 12, to see what it takes for us as Christ followers to be triumphant in the race that God has set before us. And uh, if you were here last Sunday, then you know Pastor Chris filled in, he kicked off uh, this triumphant series for us, and we learned that if we're going to be triumphant Christ followers, then we must remember the what? No, not the Alamo. <laughs> not the Alamo. We must remember the witnesses. The witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11. All right? And you're like, well, who are these witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11? Well, they are the proven winners who encourage us. They motivate us. They challenge us with their own lives of how they ran the race to finish faithful the race that is set before us. And so this morning, we want to continue on that line of thought, that theme, to see what it takes to be triumphant in the race set before us. Now, uh, I grew up playing sports. I love playing sports. Today, I have to admit, I mostly watch sports. Uh, and, but there's one thing I've learned, and that is uh, almost everyone, if you play sports, whether it's a game or whatever it is, you want to win. You want to be triumphant. And that is true whether it's a political race, as we're seeing right now, or it's a car race for you NASCAR fans, or for myself, the race to Starbucks to be first in line. Uh, we want to win. We want to triumph. In fact, my attitude growing up, and I have to admit even still today, is if you're keeping score, then play to win. Uh, 
to this day, I still hate to lose. In fact, I was reminded of this again on our vacation. Uh, we took some time. We went down to uh, Branson, Missouri back in June, and, uh, and so my wife packed in some games, and she's kind of the game person in our family, and, and her and Jack like to play games. Tyler and I, were like, okay, whatever, and uh, so we started playing this one game called Phase 10. How many have played Phase 10 before? All right, well, it got a little competitive amongst our four, the four of us in our family, even with phase 10. Even, get this, even my wife did not want to lose. She got competitive and made sure we were all playing by the rules and nobody was cheating. Uh, and so we all want to win. And in the Olympics, athletes will often do whatever it takes to win. They will endure countless hours of training. They will employ the best coaches. They will remove all distractions, and they will seek any method to gain a competitive advantage. Now, most athletes will uh, compete within the rules. But as you know, some athletes will resort to illegal, even illegitimate means to better their chances, such as the Russian athletes here who have been banned from, for doping from these Rio Olympics. But consider this thought with me. Winning is not just for Olympic athletes. Winning is also for Christ followers. When it comes to running this race that God has set before us, the goal is to win. In fact, I love what the Apostle Paul encouraged us with in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 24, where he says, Do you not know that those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize. And then he tells us, run in such a way that you may win that race that you're running. But what does this mean, actually? What does it mean to, for Christ followers to win? What does winning mean for us here this morning? Well, if you want to follow along in your notes, you're welcome to, or you can just uh, follow along on the screen behind me. But listen, it means finishing faithful. It means finishing faithful the race set before us. The Bible teaches that the Christian life is like a race. It makes that analogy several places. And we're in it to win it by finishing faithful. May we make it our life goal, what the Apostle Paul said in Acts 20, verse 24, where he writes, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And then, when we come to the end of our lives, that we would be able to say, along with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the faith, or the race, and I have kept the faith. Unfortunately, though, some people never finish the race. There are some who get distracted. There are some who even get disqualified from the race. In the mid-1980s, Kathy Ornsby, a junior from North Carolina State University, was running in the NCAA championships. She had already set a national record in the 10,000 meters, and so she was a heavy, heavy favorite to win this championship. But for reasons to this day she can't even explain, she reached the curve of the track and just kept running straight into the stands, eventually outside the stadium to a nearby bridge 
where she jumped, dropped, jumped off and nearly killed herself, leaving her paralyzed from the waist down. Maybe it was from the pressure, maybe it was the fear of failure, whatever it was, she failed to finish her race. Now the writer of Hebrews here, that is his one great fear for these early Christians that he's writing to. His great fear is that these Christ followers that he's writing to here, they would not finish the faith. And so through his writing, that is his concern for us this morning as well. He's writing to Christ followers who are going through hard times, difficult times, for the world has turned against them for their faith. And over time, this constant hostility toward them, the harsh circumstances around them, it was beginning to take its toll on them. They were beginning to grow weary of following Jesus in the face of such difficult times. It was just kind of soaking into their minds that, you know what, it's probably just easier to meander in the crowd of life rather than to run the race that is set before them. And so knowing this, Knowing that these early Christ followers may, may quit this race, that they're tempted to, they're growing weary in it, the writer of Hebrews writes to them to spur them on, to motivate them. Listen, don't quit. Keep running the race that God has set before you. And he reminds them that Jesus never promised that following him would be a walk in the park but rather it would be an agonizing race to the finish. These early Christ followers faced a culture that was determined to persecute them and penalize them. And what they needed back then is exactly what we need now in the face of our culture. A reminder that we are called to finish faithful the race that is set before us. With this in mind, here's the question I want to throw out to you. Are you running the race? And are you on track to finish the race that God has set before you? If not, then what is slowing you down? What is tripping you up in your race? The verse here that we're focused on, here in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, tells us that there are two specific or primary hindrances that keep people from finishing the race. He mentions stuff and sin. Two hindrances that keep people from finishing. And what we're going to see this morning is that the stuff in our lives will slow us down and sin in our lives will trip us up. So what can we do then to finish triumphantly the race that is set before us? Well, obviously, we need to remove any hindrances that is slowing us down and tripping us up. Look again what it says with me in verse 1. The writer here says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, our focus this morning is on that middle phrase. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now, 
this phrase, lay aside, it's an interesting phrase that literally means to, to throw off or to actually strip off everything. And it's in reference to the, the stripping off of one's clothes before a race. And I'm sure you've seen that before, even in, in these, uh, uh, the Olympic competitions of, uh, of track and field or some other race. The runners get there, obviously, sometimes in warm-ups. And they don't run in their warm-ups. What do they do? They strip off their warm-ups. They lighten the load, if you will, to prepare to run the race. And so this verse in particular, this phrase here, it packs a punch because Christ followers will do the same thing. That's the implication that the writer here wants to get across to us, that we will do this. We will remove any hindrances that are slowing us down or tripping us up so that we might finish faithful the race that God has set before us. So let's look at these two hindrances in particular. The first one here is to get rid of any stuff that slows you down. Get rid of any stuff that slows you down. Listen, if there's one thing we can be sure of, stuff will interfere with this race and it will slow you down. So what stuff should we get rid of so that we might finish the race? Well, it's anything that slows us down in our spiritual lives. The New King James Version says that we are to lay aside every weight the NIV simply says to throw off everything that hinders. And the NLT reads, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Now, weights in this context here, verse 1, in this phrase, are not necessarily evil or wrong in and of themselves. In fact, they may be good things and not even sinful things, the stuff. But it weighs us down. It diverts our tension, or it impedes our progress nonetheless. This verse here in verse 1, it has one imperative or one command. The writer is telling us one thing here in particular, and it's the overarching command and verb in this verse, and that is run the race set before you. So picture the start of a marathon. You don't run wearing a heavy winter coat. You don't run wearing hiking boots. You don't run with a 50-pound backpack. That guy wouldn't stand a chance of finishing because he hasn't, what, stripped off every weight that's hindering him from running the race and, in particular, finishing the race. And that's why, if we're going to finish our race that God has set before us, then we must get rid of, strip off any Wait, any stuff that's slowing us down. Have you noticed that uh, when the Olympic athletes compete, they, they try to get as streamlined as possible, especially the swimmers? How many of you have seen, you probably noticed the, the kind of, you know, new swimsuits they kind of wear, a little bit different than 30, 50 years ago. And since... In fact, one of the new swimsuits that a lot of them wear is what's this, this, this is made by Speedo. It's the LZR Racer swimsuit. And since it was introduced in 2008, numerous, I mean numerous, almost over 40 world records have been set wearing this particular swimsuit. Speedo and NASA tested nearly 60 fabrics in a NASA wind tunnel to find the fabric with the least amount of drag. 
surface drag accounts for approximately one-third of the total restraining force on a swimmer. In fact, Speedo says the suit has been independently tested as the world's fastest, a claim that translates to up to 5% more efficiency in stroke speed and oxygen intake. The lighter gray panels located at strategic points compress the body into a more streamlined shape. Maybe I need to wear that. <laughs> Eliminating jiggle and reducing drag. The core stabilizer grips the swimmer like a corset to help maintain the best body position in the water. The suit is made of a lightweight woven fabric. It's water repellent and highly compressive for a tight fit that makes swimmers even more hydrodynamic. It's no secret, then, why so many Olympic swimmers are wearing Speedo's new swimsuit. Man, they don't want anything slowing them down, because they want to win. This reminds me of two men who were riding on a, on a tandem bicycle going up a steep hill. And as you might imagine, they were panting and sweating as they neared the top of the incline. And, and the first man finally said, wow, man, that was a tough climb. I thought I was going to die. And the guy on the back agreed and said, yeah, if I hadn't kept the brake on, we would have slid down that hill backwards. So let me ask you here, is there something or someone that is keeping the brakes on your spiritual life? Is there an obstacle or a weight that is slowing you down in your race? In other words, is there a hurdle in your life that is hindering your spiritual growth? It might be a relationship. It could be a habit. It might even be a person, a hobby, a career, possession. It might even be social media. It might even be our kids' activities. It, whatever it is, you name it, it's a weight that's slowing you down. It's hindering you. We could call this stuff a, a hindrance hurdle. It can be anything that slows you down in the Christian life and hinders you from finishing the race. And so when it comes to identifying your, your hindrance hurdle or even identifying this stuff that's slowing you down, here are three truths to remember. The first truth is this. The problem is often not what the weight is, but what it does to you. And what it does, and what it does, it has the potential to do. To slow us down and even to keep us from finishing the race. And that's why we want to get rid of it. Listen, it's not illegal. It's not against the rules to swim in the Olympics with a full beard and a pair of jeans. It's not against the rules to do that. But it's not helpful, is it? It's not helpful to do so in accomplishing your goal to win the race. Second truth is this. The choice we have to make is often between what is good and what is best. A winning athlete does not choose between what is good and bad. He chooses between what is good and what is best. And we must do the same if we want to finish the race set before us. One author he puts it this way, and I love how he phrases it and how he puts it. He says, the race of the Christian life is not run well by asking, what's wrong with this or that? But by asking, is it in any way 
of greater faith and of greater love and of greater purity and greater courage and greater humility and greater patience and greater self-control. Not is it a sin, but does it help me run? Is it in the way of me finishing the race? Is it a hindrance hurdle that is hindering me, slowing me down? Which brings us to the third truth. What is a hindrance to you may not necessarily be a hindrance to someone else. Listen, this is not about identifying all the stuff that's hindering your parents, your brother, your sister, your friend, or your coworker, or somebody here in the church. This is about identifying the stuff that's slowing you down, myself down, and it's going to be different for all of us. When it comes to Olympic track and field events, one of my favorite events to watch is, is the hurdles. And uh, it's amazing to me to watch these runners just glide so effortlessly over each of the hurdles to the finish line. Athletes are allowed to hit a hurdle, but that usually slows the runner down. And it even will knock them off stride. This is what happened to four-time world champion Alan Johnson at the 2004 Summer Olympics in Athens. He fell for only the second time in his 13-year career in the 110-meter hurdle race. He clipped several hurdles early in the race, ran square into the ninth hurdle with his foot, and went under rather than over hurdle number 10, ending with a headfirst swan dive into the track. Needless to say, he didn't finish the race. Listen, you and I, we are faced with hurdles all the time. And the question is, are you prepared to jump over them, or are they slowing you down? When Alan Johnson was interviewed after the race, he was still in shock, and he said this, I fell down. I don't know why. Listen, the stuff that hinders, it will slow you down, and it may eventually lead to your downfall. And that's why we are to get rid of anything that hinders us from running the race and finishing our race. So what is it that's slowing you down? Are you ready to get rid of it? Are you ready to be ruthless about what stays and about what goes in your life? If you're going to finish the race, then the first thing we learn here from the writer of Hebrews is that we as each individual Christ follower, we must get rid of stuff that is slowing us down. But this brings us to a second point as well. Number two, we need to get rid of any sin that trips you up. Get rid of any sin that trips you up. If stuff hinders by slowing us down, then sin ensnares us by tripping us up. Look again what it says in verse 1. The writer says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us or sometimes translated entangles us. It's here the writer tells us how we need to view sin, how we need to see sin. It ensnares and it entangles and it trips us up in the race. So what then is the sin that the writer of Hebrews is talking about? Well, I think it's safe that Safe to say that any sin will trip you up, but especially the sin of unbelief. 
While the writer of Hebrews does not mention any specific sin, instead he says, the sin. And it's, in, and it's with a definite article, the. Which seems to indicate that there was a particular sin that was tripping up these early Christ followers. Quite likely, the writer here is referring to the sin of unbelief. In fact, this is the number one sin that is addressed throughout all the book of Hebrews. Over and over again, he's addressing this issue of unbelief to the, to the people he's writing to. Hebrews 3.19 says that it was a, a lack of faith that entangled the children of Israel and kept them out of the promised land. You go to Romans chapter 11, verse 20, and it states that the children of Israel were broken off because of unbelief. The sin of unbelief is the opposite of what the witnesses that we learned about last Sunday, it's the opposite of what they were commended for in Hebrews chapter 11. Why did Abraham and Noah and Moses keep going even when the race became hard for them? Well, the bottom line is this. They believed God. Every time you read the book, Hebrews 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, as a reminder to us that we don't do this on our own, but it's by faith in Jesus Christ that we keep running. And why is it that others so easily give up in the race? Well, it boils down to this. It's unbelief. They stop trusting in the person of God. We stop living in light of the promises of God. In other words, we stop living by faith, just like these witnesses did in Hebrews 11. They live by faith. So if there is one particular sin that hinders us most from finishing the race, the writer here is identifying it for us as unbelief. Doubting God instead of trusting God, especially when life seems unfair or when life is full of adversity, difficulty, even suffering, persecution, hostility, what we are beginning to face in a very real way in our culture now. Hebrews 12.1 provides this graphic description then of what sin does to us when he says, the writer, it easily ensnares us. This word ensnare, it means, it's the idea to ambush. It's to entrap, entangle. It's the idea of a competitor thwarting your every move. The picture is that of a twine or weeds wrapped around your ankle so that you can't run. And that's exactly what the sin of unbelief does to us. It entangles our feet so that we can't progress, we can't run. It wraps itself around us so we trip and stumble every time we try to move for the Lord. A picture of how close sin is to us and how eager it is to trip us up took place in the 2004 Summer Olympics. Perdicia Felician of Canada tripped in the women's 100-meter hurdles. She lost her balance, stumbled into the Russian runner's lane, and wiped her out. Sin is like that. It's right next to us. It will take us out if we're not careful. The Apostle Paul, 
asked this question to the believers in Galatia, trying to figure out what happened to their zeal for Christ. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 7, when he says, Listen, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? And Peter makes the same point in 2 Peter 2.20 that if we are not watchful, and if we're not careful and become entangled in sin, that our walk with Christ can be thrown off and we can go backwards in the race when he writes, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. So if getting rid of any stuff that slows us down means separating what is good from what is bad, then getting rid of any sin that trips us up means choosing between what is right and what is wrong. When we know something to be sin, we must deal with it severely by getting rid of it. You say, why? Because folks, listen to me. Here's the deal with it. If we don't deal severely with sin, then sin will deal severely with us. In fact, when it comes to sin, here are three truths to remember. And I'm going to give them to you one right after another. The first truth is this. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will always take you down a path, further down a path than what you intended to go. The second truth is sin will cost you more than you want to pay. There is always a high price to pay for sin. The true, third truth is, sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. Now what's interesting here is that in some of the older Bible translations, like the, the King James Version, it, the phrase, it uses the phrase besetting sins. And this word besetting sins, it refers to the specific sin that each one of us is, is somewhat prone to. To commit. You might think of it as a, a signature sin. In other words, we each have a, a signature sin that more easily trips me up and trips you up than what it does for someone else. And the question here is, what signature sin is it that so easily trips you up or me up? Do you know what it is? Is it covetousness? Is it jealousy? criticism, is it hatred, perhaps it's lust, ungratefulness, unforgiveness, pride, immorality, anger, an abusive, corrupting tongue, perhaps it's dishonesty, it might even be anxiety, or even unbelief. Whatever sin it is, we must deal with it before it trips us up and takes us down. Now there's no doubt about it. The image here that the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews uses in verse 1 of removing any hindrances is extreme, but so is sin. That's why if we're going to finish faithful the race that is set before us, then we must get rid of stuff that slows us down, and we must get rid of sin that trips us up. Why? Because all it takes is one sin, one hindrance to sabotage our lives. You say, well, how do we do this? Let me leave you with three steps to remove any hindrances so that you can finish your race triumphantly. Number one, step one to removing any hindrance is to identify. You need to identify your hindrance hurdle 
or your signature sin. My hindrance hurdle that is slowing me down is, and you fill in that blank, my signature sin that is tripping me up is, what is it? Now, for most of us, this is not too difficult to identify. Most of us here, we already know what hindrances that need to be dealt with in our lives, need to be removed. So what do you do, though, if you're sitting here this morning and you're having trouble identifying a hindrance hurdle or even a particular signature sin? Well, let me encourage you to pray. And to pray specifically what David prayed in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Listen to his words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And I promise you, if you pray what David prayed, I promise you from personal experience, God will help you identify the stuff and the sin that needs to be removed in your life. You go home this afternoon, you get alone with the Lord, and you begin to pray these two verses here, what David prayed, and I promise you, if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal to you as the Lord searches your heart. The Lord will work in conjunction with His Holy Spirit to, I mean, make it crystal clear what it is that is slowing you down and tripping you up. Once you've identified your hindrance hurdle, and signature sin, then the next step, step number two, is to confess that sin. Confess your sin to God and receive his forgiveness. When it comes to removing hindrance hurdles, we just need to do whatever it takes to get rid of it. Whatever it takes. When it comes to the stuff, you got to get radical. If it's trip slowing you down, you do whatever it takes. And to be honest with you, you really don't even need to pray about what you need to do on that one. The way to remove sin, though, is through confession and repentance. You say, what does that mean? Confession. The very word confession, it means to speak the same. In other words, it means to call it like God sees it. It means to accept responsibility for our actions. And so when we confess, we're confessing our sin to God and we're confessing and calling it just like God sees it in His Word. We call it like God sees it. And then we take personal responsibility for our actions, for our sin. We don't blame mom and dad. We don't blame brother or sister. We don't blame co-workers. We don't blame parents. We don't blame anybody. We call it like God sees it, not how our culture sees it, not how my family sees it, how God sees it according to his word, and we take responsibility for it. That is the act of confession with the mouth. And then we repent. What's that mean? Repentance. Repentance, the very word, is the idea of turning then from our sin. We're walking down this way. We this is a path of sinfulness, and we repent, we turn, and we turn to Jesus Christ in the forgiveness that we receive from Him. And we turn to Him in faith. 
And when we confess and we repent from our sins and we do so in faith, turning to Jesus Christ, guess what happens? The most glorious thing in the whole world. Something amazing happens. God forgives us and He cleanses us and He removes all the dirt and guilt and shame of our sin. And of course, one of the most famous verses that most of you are familiar with in 1 John 1, 9, where God promises if we confess our sins, He is what? He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You say, that's great. But what does God do with my sin? Well, notice what the Bible says God does with our sin here in Psalms 103, verses 11 and 12. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions or our sins from us. Now, how awesome is that? Only God can forgive us and cleanse us from our sins because only God's Son, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty for our sin with His death on the cross. And He removes it. He doesn't hang it over our heads and condemns us with it. No more. Listen, your spouse may remember your sin and bring it up every once in a while, but not our Lord. Your friends may bring it up and remember it. But it is removed, it is paid for once and for all. So friend, let me ask you, have you ever received God's forgiveness for your sin? And have you received his great and amazing gift of eternal life? In fact, since we're talking about sin, what is sin? Well, sin simply means to miss the mark of God's standard of holiness. God has set up a standard or a target. And when we miss the bullseye of God's target of holiness, we then have sinned. This is essentially what happened to Matthew Emmons at the 2004 Summer Olympics. With one bullet left to shoot, all Emmons needed was a score of 7.2 to win his second gold medal. He took careful aim, fired, bullseye. Only Emmons' shot hit the wrong target, resulting in a score of zero. So instead of gold, Emmons was left trying to explain the rare mistake that knocked him out of medal contention. His teammate, Michael Ante, who took silver, had this to say about Emmons. He's the best shooter I've ever seen. It must have been a mental error. I've seen it happen before, but I can't believe it happened to him. Friends, may I be so blunt? We've all missed the mark of God's perfection. We've all scored a zero. And the result is, there is no way that we can be reconciled to God on our own. There is no way that we can get to heaven on our own. Romans 3.23 says, We all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we've missed the target of His holiness. And Romans 6.23 adds that the wages of that sin is death. And death in the Bible always means physical death or physical separation from God for eternity as well as spiritual separation from God for eternity. So no matter how religious you try to be, 
Man, you can hit 9 out of 10 shots, but if you hit the wrong target once, you're done. So no matter how religious you try to be or how hard you try to get rid of, of your sins on your own, you will always fall short of God's standard of holiness. But here's the good news, and it is wonderful news. It is great news. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the last part of Romans 6.23 says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, salvation is a gift. It can't be earned. Jesus is the bridge to God, the only one who can forgive your sins, and the only one who can change your life. So are you ready? Are you ready to repent of your sins and get rid of all the stuff that is just slowing you down and tripping you up? As a Christ follower, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to get serious with the race that God has set before you? And if you're not yet a Christ follower, are you ready to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior today? Are you ready to receive the forgiveness of your sins that brings you into a relationship with Him through faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, don't commit the ultimate sin of unbelief. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and receive by faith Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In fact, in a few minutes we're going to have a time where we can respond where the praise team will sing. And you can respond right where you're seated to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can even use the prayer as a guide that's in your notes there at the bottom. You can verbalize that prayer in your heart to God. And He will know your heart and He will answer your prayer for salvation and the forgiveness of sins. For those who have trusted Jesus Christ for their salvation, the Bible says that you are a child of the living God. And get this, that His very Spirit lives within you. And that's a big deal. You say, why is that? Because God's Spirit is what enables us, is what empowers us to accomplish step three. And that is to live triumphantly through the power of God's Spirit. It's what allows us to finish the race. And I love what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So don't miss this. No matter what sins you've committed, no matter how bad you have blown it in the past or will blow it in the present and the future, Listen, there is no condemnation for our sins because we are in Jesus Christ. What that means is we are justified by God. We are declared righteous by God in Christ and we can live triumphantly through the power of God's Spirit. Not perfectly, but triumphantly. We can run the race and we can finish the race in the face of a hostile world. Do you know what that means? We're without excuse. We have everything we need to run this race that God has set before us. We have everything we need to finish the race so that when we come to the end of our race, we can say with the Apostle Paul, I have finished my course. I have kept, finished the race. I can't even remember. I'm so tongue-tied now. I have kept the faith. Folks, that's the goal. When you come to the end of your life, 
And this is why, as Christ followers, that we will remember the witnesses because it is the witnesses, as we reflect back on them, that if they can endure, if they can finish, then we can finish. And it motivates us. That is part of the motivation. They did it, I can do it. We remember the witnesses, but we also remove any hindrances that is slowing us down and tripping us up. Why? So that we can finish the race. So that we may win.